so she then went on to the next stage of trying to see whether she could even the balance a little bit to say right well let's let's try and produce one an average woman would look like right and it still produced something stunningly beautiful the only point at which the output changed is when she actually went ahead and said produce a picture of an ugly woman and it produced gargoyles, like sort of images that you've seen from a horror film. Like they, they didn't even really look human, but they all looked incredibly old. So there, there was no middle ground. Yeah. Either you had an AI producing a, a stunningly beautiful woman or something from a horror show. It's a long, long way of saying that there are obviously inherent biases in the way that these AIs produce results. sense i think you and i've done it i've um tried to do something with a um book summary to create something and uh, it didn't uh, needless to say the result was uh mindless verbiage uh, which is not what i was aiming for <laughs> unfortunately what but it was good what what were you aiming for i was looking to take some insights from a PDF and turn it into a playbook. So effectively some form of strategy document, but it didn't really, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, produce something that was usable, at least not without just redoing it all myself. Mm. And that's, and it's exactly the same before AI existed, you know, people trying to automate processes that would have been quicker if they'd not tried to automate it. Yeah, but the but the document analysis and sorry to cut across you is still a really tricky category because the difficulty we have at the moment is large language models they don't see text in the same way as we do they won't, don't really see it at all unless you're using a, a multimodal model like a like a Bard or a ChatGPT Pro, um, but they won't see things in order. So I remember when I was first playing around with document recognition. And I was testing a long PDF um, by asking the model, tell me what the last line of this PDF is. It couldn't do it because it didn't understand the order. Yeah. So what the model will try and do is it will try and take your prompt and it will try and pick out almost randomly the areas of the document that are most relevant to the prompt. Yeah. Um, but therein lies the difficulty because you do end up with something that's unstructured. Yeah. Um, and that's where training comes in, right? And that's where we start moving into these narrow use cases that I mentioned earlier. Because using something like a, a Humata or a Petal or something that is developed specifically for document Q&A is mm -hmm. going to be better than a general model like a ChatGPT Pro or a Bard um, that isn't going to be optimized for that particular use case. Yeah. What what model did you, did you try and use for the document? Was it ChatGPT or was it something different? It was 3.5 turbo. Right. Okay, fine. fine. I didn't know you could upload documents to 3.5 or were you using it by the API? I'm using another tool, proprietary right. tool. I'm, I was testing for a founder. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. So, but I mean, 3.5 is still a really good model. Mm. Yeah. But as I say, it's, you know, the, I think the, the difficulty you ran into there is, you know, you're almost using like uh, an unoptimized model to try and achieve a specific ends without it being trained for that purpose. I got crazy ambitious and I was literally trying to break it, which I did. So <laughs> job done, you know. At least but, you can say you've done that. 
yeah, <laughs> but that's like my tester hat on and just going mad, you know, go nuts. All right. You asked for it. <laughs> well, again, you, you don't have to say on here, but if you want to, if you want to send me the, the document and the, the output that you're trying to get, I've got Claude 2.1 um, for the next month. I'm not going to keep it. Mm. As I say, majority of times the output's not good, but I've not tested it with a large document yet. That's that's next on my list. Um, but with a 200K um, token window or whatever the correct terminology is, mm. it's meant to be really good at processing those those big documents. So um, yeah, if, if you do want to see what a optimized model could produce as an output we can we can do a bit of an experiment but we, we can take that offline if you like yeah yeah let's let's uh let's carry on after after this uh, episode thanks yeah, very good brilliant and i guess um beyond the technical challenges there's also things like the risks and um, ethical considerations so have you what besides obviously the data protection uh, obviously you don't want to uh, as Samsung did, uh, upload um, proprietary imp- information that should be, you know, never go beyond the corporate domain uh, mm. and firewall. Have you seen any other any other things that have added extra caution when thinking about implementing AI in finance? And besides, obviously, not loading public or PII into ChatGPT, how do you think companies should uh, address these when considering their implementation strategy? Yeah, I think I think data is now the obvious one because it's it's been outlined as a cause of concern right from the very beginning, especially because OpenAI started as an open source model where they very publicly said the data is being used to train the model. So mm. everybody's saying, oh, we don't want our data used to, to train the model. I don't want to speak out of turn here because obviously I'm a, I'm a big advocate of data privacy, especially sensitive information. But I probably look at my Android phone and the amount of data points that Google's got on me. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? That they probably know more about me than OpenAI does. Anyway, let's not go down that that rabbit hole. But yeah, so so data obviously you know cause of concern. As I mentioned previously, if you are using data, anonymize it and give the format and then take the output, whether it's code or whether it's a template or whatever, and move it into a private environment. Yeah, so so the trick here is using AI on non-sensitive data to provide the framework of the output that you want to produce and then move it into an environment that's that's safe. Yeah, so um, Christian Martinez, who I always talk about, um, absolutely amazing finance automation manager at Kraft Heinz. He was one of the first to say, just use something like Google Colab, grab the code that, um, the AI has produced for you and then run it there as opposed to actually getting um, the AI to run the code and having to use your data yeah, because you can protect your data within Google Colab that's separate to the AI platform. So so that's one consideration there. I think everybody got really excited when OpenAI produced ChatGPT Enterprise mm. because that is the private version of the platform that you can actually have within your own tenant. So it's not on a public platform shared by others. That's that's your own version of it. Mm. I've, I've never figured out what the price of it is, but it's similar to it's probably similar to the Microsoft Copilot, whereby at the moment you can probably only have it if you've got X amount of thousands of seats. 
you know, so, so I don't think that's yet accessible to smaller businesses. So we're just going to have to keep making sure that we're diligent with it, with our data up until the point where the price point for these private uh, platforms becomes more digestible. So, so that's one piece around, around data. And even when I start doing sort of context, you know, using custom instructions or or building bots or whatever, um, I still don't talk to the AI as if it's me. And maybe that's just a bit of paranoia, but I'll always say, imagine you are coaching an individual who, yeah. And I don't give company information. I I might give challenges. Yeah. uh, And I might give a little bit of data, but obviously no customers, suppliers or employee information referenced in that, but that makes me more comfortable that, you know, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody or anything in particular from a, from a data security perspective. But if we move away from data, I'd say there's a couple of other issues that we'll we'll run into with the use of AI. Again, a lot of it is out of our hands, but some of it is within our control. And one element piqued my interest was actually a comment on a post that I did about Microsoft Copilot. Um, and I can't remember who the individual was. If, if I would, I'd, I'd give them a shout out. But they quite rightly pointed to over-reliance on AI for junior team members that might not be as savvy as people with 10 years worth of experience Mm. because they growing up with it will have more trust in an AI and will be less skeptical of the output than somebody who's been around the houses and has seen incorrect responses a million times. So I think Mm. one of the problems is going to be that training piece. You know, how, how do you have your team use AI effectively without them just blind, blindly trusting the response they're getting from the AI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Human validation is still very important, you know, especially if it needs to meet, you know, brand guidelines for your organization or company policy and all of that sort of stuff. You know, you don't just want people copying and pasting the output from an AI either to be something that's incorrect or not within policy. So that's one issue. I think training is going to become more and more important. I think tools are going to become easier to use, but I think training is still going to be really important. And then the other piece, and this is the piece that is out of our control, because of course, training our employees and training them on how to use AI and giving them best practices is within our control. How the AI is trained is outside of our control. If we're using a, a mainstream AI, unless we've got a developer that is actually training the AI ourselves, <laughs> we, many companies have that luxury, right? Mm. We're relying on the way that these language models have been trained. And the example I'll give isn't with text generation or, or some of the use cases we've spoken about today. It's actually image generation. Yeah. So you've heard of mid-journey, right? Yeah. I've told the story before about how I produced a presentation um, 90% with AI, even the images using mid-journey to, to basically generate pictures of offices and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I was at a Microsoft event um, last year and they had a speaker there. Um, she was sort of a, a tech journalist. I can't remember what her official title was. I couldn't find her on LinkedIn, which I was really annoyed about. I think that's maybe just a, a personal choice of hers. But she gave a bit of a history of, of AI, but then she also moved into the territory of biases within language models. Mm. And she generated some images using mid-journey just to put this to the test a little bit. So she, without doing any clever things with prompts, just said simple stuff like generate an image of a CEO. Mm. And it, produced four pictures of a man with slick hair and sunglasses on, you know, in a leather tilt and swivel, you know, um, 
obviously male, yeah, and mm. good-looking male, yeah, super cool, good-looking male, right, with a very basic report, you know, just generate a picture of a CEO. And then she said, um, generate a picture of a nurse. And it produced a, a picture of a lady. But what was more interesting, actually, was the way that AI um, just by default will generate a picture of a woman. And again, mm-hmm. without any sort of, you know, sexist or, um, you know, because, you know, no issue who wants to identify with who. I'm not sexist. You know, I'm all for equal roles and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but the AI generated prompt was of a beautiful woman. Like she, she was stunning because um, I don't know why, but whatever it's trying to do is produce whatever is the best impression or the inverted commas best impression of a woman, right? So perfectly symmetrical mm-hmm. face, flowing blonde or ginger hair or whatever it happened to be. So she then went on to the next stage of trying to see whether she could even the balance a little bit to say, right, well, let's let's try and produce what an, an average woman would look like, right? Um, and it still produced something stunningly beautiful, right? Um, so she tried something like, um, show me a picture of um, like a, a, a tired a tired woman or something like that. And maybe there was a, a few hairs out of place, but still stunningly beautiful, right? The only point at which the um, output changed is when she actually went ahead and said, produce a picture of an ugly woman. Mm-hmm. And it produced gargoyles, like sort of images that you'd seen from a horror film. Like they, they didn't even really look human, but they all looked incredibly old. Right. <laughs> so there, there was no middle yeah. ground. Either yeah. you had an AI producing a, a stunningly beautiful woman or something from a horror show. It was also interesting that it attributed ugly to old. Yeah. So, mm. And, and it's a long, long way of saying that there are obviously inherent biases in the way that these AIs produce results. But that all comes down to the way that they're trained. Because, again, taking any sort of um, sexist or, and I'm not, I'm not going to labor the point, right? But if you looked over all of the data from the past, you know, you would probably see a trend that in the majority of instances, a nurse is a woman. Yeah, it's not the case anymore. But historically, if you look at all of the data, there's probably more data to, to suggest that a nurse is a woman than a nurse is a man, right? But that comes down to the training. Yeah, because all the AI is doing is saying, my data shows that when somebody asks me this, I'm giving this output, coming back to that predictive test, the text thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the film um, Meet the Fuckers? Have you ever seen uh, that? Ages ago. That's yeah. such an old film, yeah. It's, it's, it's an old film, but I always remember a moment in that. And again, it's it's probably poo-pooed now, but um, there's a there's a moment in it where Robert De Niro is training um, the kid. Yeah. Uh, training the kid um, because he wanted him to be a, a little genius. Mm. Um, and he had all of these um, prompt cards, you know, to get him to do sign language and all of that sort of stuff. And anyway, um, Gaylord Fokker, which is obviously a very clever <laughs> play on words, um, is a male nurse in it, and he gets a bit of jip for it. Um, but he walks into the room when Robert De Niro is training, training the, the toddler, um, and he says to the toddler, oh, um, you remember Greg? He's what we discussed, right? And he held up a card of a nurse, which was a lady nurse on a card. And the kid laughed because he was a male. Mm. Yeah. 
and and it's just an another it's another <laughs> example of those stereotypes being built into historic data. So I think as much as we can argue against all of the biases and all of the ways that you know these AIs produce their output, but we've got to look at the training and say, right, well, actually, if we're training them on data that is biased, it's not necessarily the AI that's biased; it's the data that they've been trained with, and that's why I say it's out of our control. You know, yeah. because if we are trying to be elaborate with our prompts to try and produce an unbiased result, you know, we are late. We're trying to we're trying to correct a bias and we shouldn't be having to do that. You know, we shouldn't mm. have to be saying stuff like, oh, you know, produce me an image of an average looking woman. You see what I mean? We should be able to mm. just prompt to say, produce me a picture of a woman and there should be variances there, you know, big, small, you know, all, all, all of these sorts of things. And I don't know where that's going to go, you know? Mm. Um, and it comes back to that training piece as well, because somebody with 10 years of experience in finance is going to know whether a biased answer is given about a certain, well, I can't think of an example, but you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. somebody younger that doesn't have that experience isn't going to necessarily spot when something is, you know, weighted in one direction over the other. So I think that's going to be mm. the other challenge, but sorry, it's a, it's a really long answer, but one that worth sharing, I think. Quick one, guys. I'd like to take a moment to invite you to the AI Finance Club. The AI Finance Club isn't just another professional group. It's a dedicated platform to help finance pros integrate AI into their work. Now, with AI revolutionizing every aspect of business, staying up to date and building AI skills is no longer an option if you don't want to get left behind. So with a membership, every month you'll receive a live workshop with industry experts, including me, to help you apply AI in practical finance scenarios. You'll get an in-depth review of the latest AI tools tailored for finance so you know what works best. You'll get customized AI prompts to help transform the way that you work, curated news and updates on AI advancements in the finance sector, and deep dives into AI in finance processes to help optimize your finance operations. Now, personally, I do believe that a hive mind approach to learning works wonders. So on top of what I've already mentioned, you will have access to a community chat where you can connect, share, and learn from a network of finance professionals who are all embracing AI together. Now, as a Tech for Finance listener, you'll receive 10% off your first annual subscription, plus you'll receive free access to the entire ChatGPT for Finance course, both the videos and written guides. Now, to take advantage of this offer, go to techforfinance.com forward slash AI and enter the code ADAM100 at checkout. Once again, that's techforfinance.com forward slash AI with the code ADAM100 at checkout see you there absolutely and uh, it, it's very thought-provoking mm. seriously you should if you haven't already i would definitely suggest maybe putting that online which comes segues nicely into my next question about your linkedin growth and podcasting growth which has been really impressive my friend Thank you. so you're i really liked your last post which said you grew your podcasting audience by was it 999 <laughs> percent that is impressive i must admit and um also you've been growing your audience steadily on linkedin but at a very good rate and um i guess as a growing influencer on those platforms what strategies have you used to engage and educate your audience about ai and finance So thank you for the compliments. So just on the podcast, and I said it in the post, 999% was a bit skewed because technically 
last year was the first full year that I've been doing the, the podcast, right? I, I think the first episode was released something like June 2022 or something like that. So I only had six months in 2022 and then 12 months in 2023. So the, the figures were going to be bigger. Plus, when you're starting from a follower <laughs> and you get to 500 followers, then of course the numbers are going to be big, right? So the more useful metrics for me on that were um, number of minutes produced, for example. So um, the number of recorded minutes increased 500%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is a metric that will be more useful going into next year in terms of how many guests have I managed to, to bring on? What's the quality of the conversation been? How long has the conversation gone on for? So, so I think the stats in 2024 will be more useful uh, this year than, than last year's stats. So, so I, just, I just wanted to, to say that. But I think from a, from a podcasting angle, as I mentioned previously, it was to scratch my own itch and say, right, well, I've still so much to learn. And the best way that you can learn is from people that know more than, than you do. And everybody knows more than you do in one area, yeah, which is why people need to not like self-deprecate and say, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not as good as you because everybody's an expert in one area. They might just not know it yet. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'd encourage everybody to look into. You know, where are you? And this is an Alex Hormoseyism. Alex Hormozy, massive entrepreneur now. Um, he says you need to be one of zero. Yeah, so what's what's the one thing that you have that nobody else does? What's the one thing that you can talk about that nobody else can? Yeah, and if you can't do that, what's the one thing that you can talk about better than somebody else? You know, so 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 thinking in those terms, but it ties to a question about building that and producing content that strikes a chord with the people that I work with every day. Now, I'll be brutally honest and say, initially when I started off, I just wanted a big following. Yeah, because I wanted to come across as more credible as my customers, you know, and, and I wanted to, it was a bit of an ego trip, I guess, you know, um, how can I build a personal brand so I'm recognized for something? So it started off as a bit of a selfish pursuit and a bit of an addiction, actually, yeah. because when you get a few hundred likes on a post and you see the impressions, then you get all the, do the dopamine and you think, oh my God, I'm, I'm amazing, you know, and all of these sorts of things. But when I look back over it, I was doing a really good job of analyzing LinkedIn, seeing what similar posts were performing well, and then trying to emulate that to get on sort of the, the algorithmic wave. Yeah, and that's, that's what's so difficult about these platforms is to an extent you've got no control over the reach because the platform will decide according to the algorithm how many people it's put in front of. Yeah. So I had some really good successes with a couple of posts that probably got me most of my following. Right. So, so there's, there's a couple of examples. Um, so um, there was a phase on LinkedIn where people would do the, uh, the you know, the free training course posts. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they all went viral. Yeah, so that was, that was one of my first viral posts. Um, almost got, I think, got almost a quarter of a million impressions. Um, but not one of my posts has ever got more than 1,000 likes. I think that one got to 999, you know. Um, <laughs> I was a bit annoyed about that. But it's, it's, it's all perspective, isn't it? You know, some people will be overjoyed to get, you know, 20 likes. Do you see what I mean? So that's all a matter of perspective. So that's initially how it started, you know. And I remember getting to, to 10,000 followers and thinking, wow, you know, I can't believe that I've done that. But 
getting to 10 and people probably kick me for saying this wasn't actually that difficult getting to 10,000 followers. Cause I had, um, coming from sales background, I, I think I started with maybe two, two and a half thousand connections where technically yes. followers, they were just people that I connected with. So in reality, I only needed to find seven and a half to, to get to 10. Getting to 20 was a lot more difficult and now getting to 22 seems like it's never going to happen because of those algorithmic changes. Yeah. And mm. also because I've decided that I want to produce less content that serves an algorithm and I want to produce more content that's useful. So more recently, I've got back to doing um, more text-heavy posts. Yeah. So from a, from a personal development point of view, I'm keen on improving my writing. You know, because I know that if I'm getting a good response from a text-only post, if I then do an iteration of that in the future, you know, there's a graphic, for example, that I'm going to get a better response because that base text post, like, performed really, really well. You know, and, and you've got to, again, you do have to, this is where it gets past the algorithm because the algorithm can serve your content to other people, but it can't tell people whether to click the see more. You know, the, the mm. button underneath the hook that says, yeah, show me this full post is entirely down to you to make that first line so sexy and so clickable that people then digest the rest of the content. Yeah, so mm. people talk about hook writing and all that sort of stuff, and it's what I'm trying to get better with. But again, I use AI for that. You know, I don't get AI to generate my posts, but I look at what's performing well, and then I get AI to produce inspiration based on other high-performing hooks that then might be relevant to me. And then I take that inspiration and then I distill it into my own post. And again, it just speeds up my workflow as opposed to me having to do all of those iterations myself, right? So it's speed of output rather than quality of output that I'm using the AI to produce for me there. Um, but we'll have to see how it goes because coming back to the old, I think it's Seth Godin, um, I can't remember, it was 500 or 5,000 true fans. Like mm -hmm. if you've got, you know, a small group of people that you can genuinely help, then you're, you're set for life, right? You know, mm. um, and this is where we go from vanity metrics to actual tangible metrics, right? Because mm. getting to 100,000 followers, 500,000 followers, yeah, it's great. You know, but what element is vanity over utility? You know, because people following you is an indication of whether they'd likely engage in a real life conversation with you, whether they'd actually sub subscribe to your newsletter or not, whether they'd actually subscribe to your podcast. So I think this year, I'm going to try and do more analysis around not just the impressions and the likes and the engagement, but is actually on the output of who am I getting signed up to the newsletter that I can help offline? You know, who can I get following the podcast that gets the advantage of my experience and the other podcast guests that I have, right? Mm. And that post that you mentioned about the Spotify stats, um, that's a good example because it's not got a huge amount of impressions. I mean, I think looking at this morning, it's about seven and a half thousand, which again, compared to, to some, that's a lot of impressions, right? Um, but the the real measure was how many people actually went and followed the podcast from the link that was in the bottom of that. And a lot of people actually did. And so yesterday mm -hmm. I was at 490 subscribers on Spotify and now I'm at 510. You know, so that post produced 20 Spotify followers. To me, that's the real gauge of a successful post. It's the how do you inspire action off the back of it to the mm. point where you can, you can help people offline because an email list will last forever. You know, followers on a social media platform might not. People might get disinterested in LinkedIn. 
you know, everybody might move to X, which is a different story because I'm yet to master the whole sort of Twitter short post thing, maybe in the future, but right now it's, it's more about LinkedIn. So I've rambled a little bit there, Dante, but I suppose I've managed to build a following by copying what works, but now I'm less bothered about the size of the following. I'm more bothered about the outcomes of the content I'm posting as a gauge for how much it's helping people. No, that's a really great answer and very authentic. So thank you, Adam. And to be fair, I would love 100 likes on one of my posts. I haven't even hit that mark yet. But for me, it's not about that. It's about sharing. If you impact some people and I get a few likes, I'm okay with that. If I get no likes, fair enough. I can always chalk it up to the algorithm and I try to keep off it. The main thing is don't get obsessed because the biggest the biggest challenge is avoiding scroll, doom scrolling on mm. LinkedIn and having it waste your time when you could be learning a skill, mm. getting on with things that will move you forward as a person, as a professional. So, mm. yeah. and, and you're dead right because I could spend my time trying to learn how to master the algorithm to the point where I do have a million followers or whatever it happens to be. But is it the best use of my time? Because all that time that I've spent in trying to build those vanity metrics could be time that I'm using elsewhere to produce another podcast episode or to think about asking better questions on a podcast. And, and it's interesting, actually, in terms of validation, um, because historically for me, especially with the viral posts, there was likes and comments and tagging and resharing and all of that sort of stuff. But the volume of commentary and actual messages from people to say, that's that's really useful. Can you help me with this? Or, you know, oh, I, I found your post really interesting. Can you help me with that? Very low. Whereas the following that I have for the podcast is is tiny in theory in comparison to my LinkedIn following, right? You know, 500 Spotify subscribers compared to, you know, almost 22,000 LinkedIn subscribers. I've had more people approach me off the back of the podcast to say, love the podcast, keep what you're doing than I have from all of those followers on LinkedIn. Yeah. So again, you know, think about these things objectively, you know, what are the platforms are actually helping people, what feedback can you get? And again, that's another challenge that I've got at the moment is, you know, the, the newsletter is now coming up to, um, I think a thousand and eighty subscribers or something like that. So it's mm -hmm. tiny, you know, Nicola's got 50,000, Oana's got probably 35,000 now, you know, so, so they're, they're big newsletters, right? Um, but slowly but surely, I'm getting more replies to the newsletter saying that was really good. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I even had a message from one of the newsletter subscribers actually contributing to the next newsletter mm -hmm. because I started doing sort of feature prompts and featured bots and all of that sort of stuff. And somebody replied to say, oh, by the way, you know, check these out. You know, I think you might find these interesting. You know, so again, it's, it's the medium that has the most impact that you need to be focusing on. Yeah. So... Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. And uh, I just realized you've been so generous with your time and I'm just hogging it all. So, um, Not I, I, yeah, but thanks, Adam. It's It's been great. And um, I guess I've got a few more questions just to wrap up. Um, sure. What emerging trends in finance technology excite you the most and how do you see them shaping the future of the industry? Wow. So what excites me the most? How am I seeing them shape the future? 
So I think personally, the most exciting for me, um, and this relates to finance, not just finance, but, but other areas, is the concept of those AI co-pilots. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they can be done well, you know, and, and as loads of people have always said to me, and I, I always say, nobody ever complains about having more time. Yeah. So, so there's an exercise for me in the same way that I recommended earlier to go through all the stuff that I do and start figuring out, you know, how do I have more co-pilots, you know, whether it's an outsourced person or, or an AI tool that, that I use. Right. And one example of that for podcasts, I don't know whether I mentioned it to you before, podium.page. That is an AI that's optimized for podcasts. They'll do transcripts, but then they've got podium GPT now that you can use to um, generate URLs of tech that's mentioned, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. So that's that's a fit for purpose, you know, that I'm quite excited about because it saves me hours of having to generate show notes and transcripts, you know. So so that that's one example. But I guess in the finance space, you know, when Copilot's finally released to smaller companies, that's exciting because you'll have an assistant alongside all of the documentation that you produce every day, whether it's Word, PowerPoint, Excel. I've had demonstrations of people. Um, taking a PowerPoint presentation, a non-technical document, and having Copilot automatically format that into a Word document that's a, a technical specification for a project. You know, and that's that's the really exciting stuff. If we move outside, I guess the the Microsoft and the Copiloty stuff and the ChatGPT stuff. The other thing that excites me is how some of these other platforms start building AI into their platforms without us knowing about it. So there's a platform I've seen recently called Pyramid, which is mm-hmm. um, a data analysis platform. It's one that I've not heard of before, but it's quite exciting. So um, it will take multiple data sources and it will use AI to support the production of visuals, which again, isn't, isn't anything particularly new, right? Um, but it will then go a step further and work that data into a presentable format for you to the point where you can interact on the fly. And again, it's, it's, it's nothing that's particularly new because you could do that with a combination of tools, but having everything in one platform whereby you can take the data, produce the visualizations, and then turn it into a presentation that is not just a presentation, but also interactive when you can change the variables, that then ties into that business partnering piece, right? Mm. Because we've automated the data, we've automated the production of the visuals. Now our job is to tell the story. It's to relay that data and to get everybody involved, you know, and to, and to really start that discussion. So that's, you know, where I'm seeing it headed because the second part of your question was, what does the future look like? I think it's exactly that sort of stuff. You know, I, I mentioned previously as well that I think we're going to have the, the concept of AI agents whereby they'll start acting more as humans. So I experimented with this previously. I've used the example before. But when Agent GPT was first released, it was um, advertised as an autonomous agent whereby you just give it a goal and then it will prompt itself until it's achieved that goal. Um, I asked it to find the best price of a Mercedes because I had a friend that was was looking for one just as an experiment. Um, and it did an okay job, but it was very evident that it was buggy, kept looping, kept getting confused and all that sort of stuff. But I think if somebody masters being able to work from an outcome backwards rather than us having to prompt at the beginning to try and get towards that outcome. I think that's going to be a bit of a game changer there. Then there's an argument to say, well, well, are we then in the territory of artificial general intelligence? I think we're probably getting there, Um, but who knows? So so short term, I think some of the tools that I mentioned there, 
augmenting what you do on a day-to-day basis so that you can start shifting your value um, towards more of that building influence and winning hearts and minds. But then I think in the future, it will get to the point where AI start acting like people that you would outsource. Brilliant. And do you have a personal mantra or philosophy that guides your professional decisions and innovations? Decisions and innovations. I don't think that I've ever thought in terms of mantras. The the one that I'm trying to, so this isn't one that I've committed to heart yet, but one that I'm trying to live more by is the concept of leverage. Mm. Um, Archimedes, right? You know, give give mm-hmm. me a lever long enough on a platform, and I can I can move the earth. Yeah. Um, But I'm trying to work a a mantra that says always try and find the highest leverage activity. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not there yet. Technology is leverage. You know, so I mentioned stuff like like Podium, those narrow use cases, you know, chat GPT, just even Mm -hmm. if if using it for general purposes, that's that's leverage. How can I take that to the next level? And it comes back Mm -hmm. to what I was saying previously, you know, leverage comes in the form of technology, people or money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm not a millionaire right you know i've still got a day job you know um you know and some of these advanced tools and some of your ability to outsource work money is a prerequisite mm. but you've got to start somewhere right so so i do work with um an outsourced individual via upwork which you probably mm. probably heard of right freelancing platform um so he's helped me start historically with data inputs you know helping draft newsletters and and all that sort of stuff you know so that that's kind of level one if we think of it in terms of the game but as i'm able to outsource as i get more money you know whether it's to a person or an ai i'm going to try and look for those high leverage activities and again you can use ai to, to 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 get to that right you know um from all my tasks which is the highest leverage activities that's going to get the majority of my output it ties to 80 20 right you know mm-hmm. it's, it's exactly the same premise um a, another really good book um the one thing can't remember the orders uh, the authors um but what is the one thing that you can do that makes everything else easier or irrelevant mm-hmm. yeah and it all comes down to, to leverage right what's what's the lead domino so i'm going to try and think more in those terms whether it's a work in terms of you know reporting that i do with the team and all that sort of stuff what's the highest leverage activity that i can do to make sure that we're making the best possible decisions and then when it comes to stuff like you know podcasting and newsletters you know what is the um best title format to increase newsletter um open rates as much as possible and what is the highest leverage linkedin hook that's going to give the most uh new subscribers or podcast followers you know and and all that sort of stuff so i'm going to try and think more in those terms but yeah you know what's high leverage what's the one thing that i can do to make things easier or relevant fascinating thank you for sharing that and um i guess what's next for adam any upcoming projects or goals you're particularly excited about? Uh, I get excited about a lot of stuff, you know, and, and this this is maybe where I struggle a little bit because it's very easy being an introvert just to keep myself to myself and experiment, you know, and delve into all of these tools and do all of this sort of stuff. I think next for me is actually realizing it and making it more useful. So I mentioned the, the AI Finance Club previously. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a little project that I guess goes hand in hand with my own newsletter, um, mm-hmm. but it's more community focused rather than my, my own following. That's that's something that I'm working on at the moment. But you know, time time is the biggest limitation at the at the moment. You know, um, when you've got a lot of plates to spin, you've got to pick your battles. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I think for me, consistency um, and focusing on I guess quality over quantity is probably something that is next for me in 2024 Brilliant. and it's all been high quality from what i've seen but as you say the leverage will probably be the game changer for you next year so yeah absolutely know. you know if, if i can focus on the 20 percent of stuff that produces the best results then it's just how does that scale right mm-hmm. you know and then the, there's two decisions to make right you know either you, spe- you spend less time you get the same output yeah or you increase your level of activity and then produce exponentially better results. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But it's, it's always a balancing act, right? Because, yeah. you know, with, with two kids, you know, a day job, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff, you know, it's, you know, the question is where, where do you spend your time? And, you know, you mm. don't get your time back, do you? So there's yeah. lots of questions, often more questions than answers, but hey-ho. Yeah, that's always, uh, always going to be the, uh, the trade-off, right? But, um as long as you've got your priorities in order and, you know, spending Christmas with a family has to be, you know, your top priority in this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and it, was a, it was a great Christmas. Um, you know, yeah, the, I mean, I, Isaac's three now, so he gets it. Um, mm. Omen, he's 18 months, so he just pulls decorations off the Christmas tree. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't make it any less special, so no, it's, it was good. Yeah, it was a good Christmas. Wonderful. Adam, it's been a great pleasure having with you with us today. And I really loved your insights into the music, AI and finance, which have not only been enlightening, but also inspiring and thought provoking as well. So if any of uh, my listeners would like to reach out to you, where can they best connect with you online? Uh, so LinkedIn is is the best place. Um, just search Adam Shilton, S-H-I-L-T-O-N. Uh, I think um, the official handle is Adam Shilton Tech, T-E-C-H. Um, so I think it's LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash Adam Shilton Tech if you want the full URL, but you should just be able to search me. There is another Adam Shilton who I think works for, I can't remember, I think he works for design in Starbucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not that Adam Shilton, it's the other Adam Shilton. Mm-hmm. Um and then the website to um, www.techforfinance.com. It's, it's only a card, single page, um, but it directs to the newsletter site, which is newsletter.techforfinance.com. Um, so subscribe there. And as I mentioned previously, you know you can you can reply to the newsletter or you can you can email me. Um, no issues there. So that's where to find me. Brilliant. And I'll make sure the links are in the show notes for the avoidance of any misunderstandings or doubts or accidentally following that guy from Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one with the, with the glasses and beard. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, yeah. Uh, thanks again. The time and insights you shared. Um, I look forward to seeing your continued impact in the world of finance technology and beyond Adam. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Likewise. Fame.